In our culture, everything is based on success. But what is success and who to find it? That's the big question. Is it measurable? Can you obtain it? Can you dream it? Can you hold it? I'm on a quest to redefine how we view success, and I'd like to bring you on this journey. Welcome to Be Fulfilled. Welcome to Be Fulfilled. It's the real stories behind success. This is episode number 43. Today's guest, Clayton Morris. Now, Clayton Morris is a former Fox News anchor who left the number one news cable channel in the world after achieving financial freedom through his real estate investment company, Morris Invest. He now devotes himself, his time to helping others buy their first rental property, build passive income and achieve financial freedom. Now, after some epic failures, we're going to talk about them today and so much more. He learned how to build a meaningful life and he shares these lessons on his podcast, Investing in Real Estate. Please welcome to the show, Clayton Morris. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Hey, Clayton, first off, thank you very much for being a guest and taking some time today to share your story, your life a little bit and your journey with our audience. Question out the gate, straightforward and simple for every guest. What is your definition of success? Well, it's really tapping into your why. I mean, it sounds like a cliche, right? People say it. Maybe it's like an Instagram post, you know, what is your why? What is your why? But honestly, what else is there? So many people chase money. So many people chase things. When we talk with investors for the first time, when they call us at Morris Invest or they book a call with us, a lot of times, or I'll get emails from potential investors and who want to make a change in their life. They'll say, you know, should I invest in mobile home parks? Should I invest in this? Should I do that? Should I do that? And I want to say like, whoa, 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 let's go back a little bit. Like, why do you want to do this? Why do you want to? Is it that you don't want to spend two hours commuting every day on the highway and you get home at 7.30 at night and your kids are just going to bed? That's a why, right? So I think success really can be like, look at Dr. Wayne Dyer, who in his later years gave everything away. You know, a great spiritual teacher. He lived in Hawaii. He was able to affect so many people. He gave everything away, all of his possessions, because he realized none of that matters. You know, none of that matters at the end of the day. So to me, success is every day sort of like living this life of bliss and gratitude. If you can wake up and say, wow, this is great. I have an amazing life. I'm giving gratitude sort of back to the universe. As hokey as it sounds, it's amazing what unfolds as a result of that. No, I love it. And you brought up Wayne Dyer, who I study a lot and grateful because when I wake up in the morning, it's thank you three times, right? Like it's my morning routine. It's like breathe in, breathe out. Thank you for the day. It's like what can unfold is pretty much anything you want to have happen as long as you kind of implore that positive mindset. So what I'd love to do, great answer, by the way, too, is kind of learn a little bit about you, a little backstory, where you're from, kind of how you even went down to the path to even decide you wanted to get into investing, but also like, how did you settle on a news channel? And I'd love to know a little bit about that today, because what I love to do anytime I interview somebody, is I don't want to know everything that everybody else knows. I love to try to find the little golden nuggets and get them out and share with the world another side of you, not a different side, just a deeper side so that the world knows now I have more of a connection. The whole thing about Be Fulfilled is about connection taking you from where you're at to maybe where you're going and helping somebody see for themselves what is possible. If Clayton could do it, I could do it. And I love to hold up the mirror and just show the world you. And that's the reason why I do this show. So where are you from? Kind of how did you get your start? We'll get into all that. I just love to know where you grew up and went to school. Yeah, I was born in Philadelphia. Go Phillies. Can't believe I'm actually saying that they're uh, in first place, which is crazy. 
Philadelphia, then moved to Reading, Pennsylvania. So grew up in the Pennsylvania area and always been an East Coast person. Love my seasons. You know, I love my fall. It's my favorite season of the year. I just love that when you can, and it's starting to feel like that up here. We're up in the mountains of Pennsylvania right now. And, you know, those August nights, it starts starting to get a little cool up here and the leaves, I can just start to see that those things are about to change. Love getting out those zip ups, you know, and starting to feel Oktoberfest weather is great to be able to sit back and watch some football and have a beer. Yeah, so I, I'm an East Coast person. So seasons to me have always been part of my life, my system. And, you know, as a little kid, I just, I used to sneak downstairs when my parents thought I was asleep and I was obsessed with the medium of broadcasting. And so I would watch Letterman and Carson when my parents thought I was asleep. And I just became, you know, David Letterman became an idol of mine at a young age. And it just became fascinated with his ability to sort of break down that fourth wall and, spin the camera around when Inky, his cue card guy would, you know, spill coffee instead of just ignoring it as if it didn't happen. He'd spin the camera around and make fun of him for five minutes, you know, and that would be a bit and be some of the best, that'd be the best five minutes on his show. So later in my broadcast career, when I was able to get to that level, the network, I always tried to have that kind of fun. And when our stage manager would do something, I always wanted to incorporate that in the show and not ignore those types of things, you know. So that was uh, that was my first little love of broadcasting as a child and kind of going off into the TV world after that. I love that. You know, the funny thing is you were getting on today. I'm like, man, this guy's handsome. He's got a good look. He's got the smile. I can tell why he's been on television. I told him I got a face for radio. But how did you take kind of that early day? I can almost see the vision of you sneaking down, kind of maybe peeking around the corner and catching a little bit of Carson and Letterman and and kind of seeing that late night. How did that start for you in broadcasting? How did you find your way? Was it journalism in college? How did you find your way onto the news? Yeah, it's a really weird kind of circuitous path. I mean, I was obsessed with stand-up comedy. I was obsessed with sort of mechanism of broadcasting. I used to, you know, when I wouldn't watch Letterman, I would tape it every night. So I had a wall of cassette tapes and each episode was labeled with different people who were on Letterman's show that night. And I always loved the episodes that had comedians on. And then I would watch Comedy Central or before that, it was the Comedy Channel. And before Comedy Channel was called Ha, (laughs) you know, and I was obsessed with the stand-up comedy on, on television. So I thought, I'm going to, you know, that's the way I'm going to get into TV is do stand-up comedy. So I started going to clubs in Philadelphia and doing stand-up and started lucky enough to like win some amateur nights and things like that. And thought, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go into stand-up comedy, go off to University of Pittsburgh and started working at the Funny Bone and Station Square and doing sets down in Pittsburgh. And, and you're good, by the way, because I haven't talked about this anywhere else. And maybe just my family knows this story, but you know, started doing stand-up and realized, wait a minute, these comedians are kind of miserable. They live on the road 320 days a year. And, you know, where are they going to go from there with it? So I kind of abandoned it. (laughs) But after college, I moved, I just took a plunge and moved out to Los Angeles. Somehow I started working in linens and things and somehow managed to go from that to working as a production assistant at KTTV Los Angeles, which was the Fox affiliate in West LA, and just started moving up from there. And I was a part of Good Day LA, the morning show, and got to see this like fun, hip morning show. At, you know, I'd be up at three in the morning, but these hosts were having fun. And I was like, this is what I want to do. You know, This is kind of the environment that I was watching on Letterman so many years ago, this irreverent news show. That's, uh, that's kind of how I started my career. I like that. You know, we all have a path to get us to where we're at, right? And so you're like linen and things in Los Angeles. 
So I lived in LA for a short period of time for, I don't know, maybe 10 years. So I'm like, I'm kind of out retracing my steps. Okay. So when did you move away from Los Angeles? I was there for uh, honestly about a year, year and a half is about the longest I lived in LA. I graduated in 1999 from college, moved, I just packed up a U-Haul truck. And that was really the defining moment in my life. I think one of the defining moments, because my dad said, if you know, you need to go to LA to make it in TV, then go. Now I had to go backwards in time and think, well, you don't move to the number two market in television to try to make it in TV. Like you start in Montana or you start in North Dakota and you work your way up. Now here I am, total idiot. I pack up a U-Haul truck, my 1989 Ford Escort on the back of it. And I just moved across the country sight unseen. My best friend said he was going to go with me. And then he's still in Reading, Pennsylvania to this day. You know, So I moved out there, didn't know what I was going to do. Got a part-time job at Linens and things. And I was only there for a year and a half. But the news anchors for that show, Steve Edwards, said to me, he helped me put together like a resume tape. And I went in the studio one day and I sat down and I just sat behind the anchor desk and read some news stories and kind of had fun and just was trying to be myself and what I thought a news anchor would be, you know. And I showed it to him later and he graciously said to me, he said, you know, you will be a network news, you will be an anchor in a major market within five years. And he said that I I just pinched myself. Mm -hmm. I said, no, no. And he said, don't ever this is a piece of advice he gave me. He said, don't ever slough off a compliment from like that. He said, I mean it. And I was like, okay. And I kind of stood up. I'm like, okay, thank you, sir. You know, but I was like, no, 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 no. You're just being kind. You're just being nice. Cause I'm a you know, lowly production assistant. And he said, don't do that. Don't slough off a compliment like that. But he said, if you know, you want to make it go somewhere in television, you can't start here. You've got to go off and go somewhere. So I went off to Montana as a political reporter. So I was there for about a year and a half and I left and I knew I didn't want to be behind the camera. As a producer, I wanted to be in front of the camera. You know, the advice you were given is some of the hardest for us to process, right? Because we want to blow off a compliment. I just want to take you back for that moment. Would you say that's a defining moment kind of in how you process? Because when someone says to you, a compliment and our just natural thing is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then let's talk about something else instead of accepting that, right? And you checking out, getting ready to do the interview, learning about you and trying to figure it out and talking about your why from the very beginning. Also watching how you grew up, how you studied the greats. See, comedians stand in front of an audience. They tell a joke and the way they know it's funny and landed well is the audience's response. So I was just curious how this kind of played into how you kind of have grown up through this industry, because on television, you don't really know how well it's landing. You have a producer in your ear telling you next, that didn't work. So I'm just curious how that kind of played into how you found your fame in television. That's a great question, you know, because I found over the years in TV that when I'm, I mean, there were some times when I was a news anchor at an NBC affiliate in West Virginia, for instance, I would come in and do the 5 p.m. newscast. And I'm there by myself with a foot pedal, moving the teleprompter myself by myself in like a darkened cave doing the news, right? In front of like a green screen that they then mapped in some funky graphics. So I was the only one in that room. So if I was going to make some joke, I don't know if, you know, no one around me is laughing. Maybe Aunt Mildred, you know, 50 miles away, sitting there in her rocking chair watching the 5 p.m. newscasts got a little chuckle in, but I don't know that. So anytime I've ever had to do a show where there's been no stage crew, there's no camera guys, it's lost that like energy for me. Mm. So when I was in Philadelphia, I eventually got to Good Day Philadelphia Market 4 and I got to go back home, so to speak. And uh, this was before I went to the network. So I'm in Philadelphia and then they made the move. It was a fun morning show 
And that's why they brought me in to have fun, you know, and make it fun again. Well, then asked right after I got there, the stage crew basically got laid off and they put robotic cameras in that were controlled by a control booth. So now I had no one in the studio at all. And there was no camera guys to laugh and you could hear the laughter at home, you know, and I could play off of that energy and that audience in with the stage manager and the camera guys. Now they're gone. Now I've got robots <laughs> sitting in front of me. And I'll never forget the director. Like I used to just jump out of my seat and go do funky stuff in the studio. Like, come on over here. Let's go see this. You know, let's take this cheesesteak out on the street and see if anybody will eat it. You know, that kind of stuff in Philly. Well, the director said, now that we've got these robotic cameras, you have to let me know when you're going to do something like that. And I just said, no, that's, you can't, not that I'm a comedic genius or something, but you can't telegraph spontaneity when something strikes me to want to go and do something Mm -hmm. like that. It just came to me in that moment. I want to get up and do it. Now that we've got robots there, we can't do it. So that's a great question. I mean, but it does change that dynamic. And I always loved playing off of those people in the studio and that energy to make people laugh. No, and where you're at, like you're a great storyteller. So one, I just want to give you that because I think sometimes people forget things come to people who are are entertaining. They just happen. Even you watch somebody who's playing sports and they just do something quirky and they throw the ball funny. You were talking about the Phillies at first. And I can only imagine what it was like watching the Eagles. If you even grew up watching the Eagles play ball, like all the fun things that you want to do, the reenactments of Namath or whoever it may be, all the things that you grew up watching on television, competition against the Eagles or teams. And you're like, I want to reenact all these things. And then have somebody take that away from you. And that's why I got out of broadcasting. That was my number one reason. Someone walked in one day and said, you need to read these liners. And I'm like, read liners? Like, I don't want to read liners. You just took away everything that I love about the whole thing about the theater of mind and tell me now I need to read stuff. Right. So I, what I'm going to do is we're going to climb up Success Mountain pretty fast because here's what I've already got from you. I'm already stretched. I'm warmed up. I'm ready to rock. And what I've seen from you is you have this hunger, right? I can only imagine what life was like growing up for you, knowing that you had all these cassette tapes of all these great comedians. So if I want to ask this now, because I'm not going to wait till the end, tell me one or two of the famous comedians that you just grew up, that you just loved watching. Well, Jerry Seinfeld to me was, you know, the guy that I, I really identified with, maybe in some ways modeled myself after sort of observational humor. David Letterman, as I mentioned, just his quick wit and timing. But there were some comedians that I really on stage identified with. And I'll never forget when I first performed at this nightclub and sort of my mentor as a stand-up comedian, he ran a nightclub in Reading, Pennsylvania. He said, to, I went and I kind of, I basically copied Jerry Seinfeld, not his jokes, but I copied his style one night on this, at this amateur night. It was my first night on stage. And I did really well, but he later pulled me aside. He said, very good. He said, but you need a hook. Like you need to be yourself. And that was like one of those moments where I was like, wow. And I said, okay, what does it mean to be myself? How am I funny? In one-on-one situations, I'm not necessarily funny. But when I'm with a group of people at a dinner and I've got four people, I can play off of the people at the table and that's how I can be funny. That's my wheelhouse. And so I began to really think about that and study that. And I thought it was really around the storytelling aspect and pulling elements from what other people are saying and kind of playing off of them. And I remember one of my favorite comedians, Jake Johansson, maybe most folks might not know who he is, but he's still out there on the circuit. You can see him popping up. I was in Tampa, Florida recently, and he was on a marquee there and at some of the big clubs, Caroline's in New York and things like that. And he's had an HBO special and stuff. His storytelling abilities where he would kind of go down almost like an Ella DeGeneres style, you know, and kind of going down. And, and I started to really study him and then to kind of develop my own 
my own style on stage. And then I came back a few months later to the same nightclub. And it was a great moment because the owner came up to me afterwards and says, you did it. You got your own hook. You developed your own hook. So Jake Johansson was really a standout for me. I would study his mannerisms, his timing, his story structure, all of those things. You know, a couple of people already kind of on your journey were giving you some really solid kind of advice. And the thing that I've, I've also heard a couple of times today is that you just went after it. You just took massive action. Reading a little bit about your story, kind of getting you up, you know, and figuring out who you are. And now, now you run a company, right? And now, now you're trying to broadcasting. You've got all these things going on. Somewhere along the way, real estate became an option for you. Where did your love and passion, maybe it was the money aspect, but where did your love come in for real estate? Well, it was almost a, a way of unwinding the paradigm that I had been taught as a kid about money and wealth building. You know, I grew up with a lot of fears around money. And I watched my dad lose his job when I was 12 years old. And he was at the mercy of a paycheck. He was at the mercy of this employer. And I'll never forget sort of being upstairs, hearing him in the kitchen kind of cursing the day he lost his job. And he had a good job and he was, he'd never gone to college, but he had really worked hard and was a manager of a major meat distribution company on the East Coast. So like every grocery store you go into, all of the meat counters were all placed by him. You know, like they were all laid out, delivered, distributed from him and they just downsized. But he was like, I'm going to sue They're, You know, I think it's, they're just, and he was terrified. And I saw that fear and I saw it translate, you know, transmuted itself to me at 12 years old. I was, I just picked right up on it that you're at the mercy of another person, meaning your boss, a paycheck, you put money away in a 401k and that's how you build wealth. And that couldn't be further from the truth. I mean, that's the total lie, right? This idea that that's a safety net. That's not a safety net. That's the inverse of a safety net. And so for me, 1999, 1998 or so when rich dad, poor dad came out, I read it while I was moving to Los Angeles or living in Los Angeles and something, a bell dinged in my head about wealth building. And I realized, wait a minute, I grew up with the poor dad philosophy about wealth building. I didn't know anything about performing assets that, you know, you're telling me I could buy something (laughs) where my money will work for me and every month cash will come in every month because of renters and a property. So that was the seed that was planted. And from there, so that's how I sort of fell in love, not necessarily with real estate, but with the idea of unpacking and unwinding this fear that I always had around money growing up. I always heard money doesn't grow on trees. We're not the Rockefellers. We can't afford that. So I spent, I still struggle with it. I mean, I still struggle with that fear. So important about the way in which we talk about money to our kids. So that's when it started for me though. You know, Clayton, one of the most powerful things is when you're talking about your parents, right? We look to these people who we think we have it all figured out and we realize they're not that different than us. They weren't handed a specific manual. They weren't saying, hey, you got to go to school, get good grades. And this is how you figure out life after you get out of college. A lot of people that I know in my life didn't get the luxury of going to college. They had to figure a lot of this stuff out by almost rubbing two sticks together and hoping they formed a rock. Like they needed something that they could live from. What was that impact like for you kind of using your dad as your illustration and saying, okay, I've got an option. I don't want to do those things. I want to do things differently. What was the impact of that kind of playing in the back of your mind? Now you have all these people, like especially your dad, you're just watching somebody like my dad stunk with finances. I watched my dad become a millionaire, lose it. Watch him become a millionaire, lose it. So what did I do? I followed the path that was in front of me. So I watched myself become a millionaire and I lose it. I watched myself become a millionaire again. And all these kind of lessons that I learned. What was the biggest lesson your dad taught you 
that you're still using today? Well, he always had, he never stopped learning. He just visited us, he and my mom last week, this week. He's 83, you know, he had a stroke a few years ago and his hearing is, you know, is, is very labored, but he still goes out and wants to buy the business book, you know, goes to Barnes and Noble and buys it. Now, does he finish it? So that's the question, right? He never stopped learning. He's always so fascinated by learning about the new thing, about making himself better. Even at 83, he still wants to be a millionaire. And he's watched his son do that, but he couldn't do it. So that lesson for me, you know, never stop learning. I'm constantly reading, but I finish the books that he would sit and halfway finish. I just want to look at his shelf and there's, there's like bookmarks halfway through these books on his shelf today. I stare at them and it makes me upset when I go home and visit them. Well, I want to say thank you for being teachable because I think that's the, so there's a theme that's woven through your fiber, who you are is that you're teachable. That's super powerful because to be teachable, that means that you can also become a great teacher. I want to talk about kind of this whole investment property and you know, just looking over, you're just a giver. So that's the second piece that I've been able to kind of come up with just going up success mountain with you. You're a giver. There's a wealth of knowledge. You started out your show kind of talking about Wayne Dyer and kind of the getting the mindset right, getting the body right. And then I'm totally transported to Jim Rohn when he says, you know, if you earn well, you'll live well right? So living a good life. And Jim has this talk about his dad. You know, his dad was never home. He was at the park. He was at the play. He was, you know, was enjoying life. Sounds like your dad. Sounds like your mom. Sounds like living a good life. And I got to tell you, man, your parents did an amazing job and you've, you've had some incredible teachers that have gotten you to this point in your life. I want to talk about partner and life, marriage. I want to talk about the things that make you who you are. But the one thing that you came on today to really talk about is investments. And, and you also have just, I think, your freedom number cheat sheet that people can get so people can learn how to break free of debt and how maybe they can go buy their very first property. I want to learn about all of that today. But I think the question that I want to know, I mean, just as the interviewer, I'm always selfish. You're having fun. So what's the thing that's like the carrot that's dangling in front of you that gets you out of bed every day. Now you have a why, I get that. But what's that little carrot that you're like, I'm doing this because I want to get to where? Where is that thing for you? What is that freedom? To me, and I've really, I really dived deep into this over the past year, it's that place of creative contentment. And so what does that mean? You know, I'm a huge fan of like the paranormal, right? So I, in, in all different manner and facets, you know, I've interviewed, you know, pilot of Air Force One who was, you know, tra- you know, a UFO is right outside of the window in, in Air Force One. And so I'm obsessed with that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. but I'm also fascinated by the metaphysical as well. And so intuition and tapping into our intuition and we all have this ability, right? So we all have these abilities to tap into our sort of sixth senses about things. But most of us have this mind chatter that constantly goes searching, chasing. It's the ego that's constantly driving us, focused on the past, focused on the future. Very few of us are ever just in the moment. And that's why so many people, you know, skydive or do these other things because it forces them in the moment for that brief period of time. And then they're back to their mindless sort of chatter, (laughs) you know? So I think for me, it's the to have that contentment, I, you know, working right now on a paranormal channel that I want to build and just play with again. And you're having fun. Are you, you think you're smiling and having fun now? <laughs> That's the thing. It's like, if you can be creative and put that truest expression of yourself out there, unfettered, 
that's the thing that gets me out of bed. I think that's the thing that gets all of us out of bed. I mean, I'm reminded of a great book called uh, Soulcraft is Shopcraft or Shopcraft is Soulcraft. And it was all about like a, you know, a guy just spending his time working on motorcycles. And Cal Newport's great book, Deep Work, talks about the guy who spends his days in a Wisconsin barn making Viking swords. He goes out there at like 10 a.m. after his coffee and he's just in there pounding away at this metal. And he could easily do this in a factory and have it done in 15 minutes. But that's not the point. The point is that he comes alive in the creative process Mm -hmm. by doing it every day. He doesn't need to put this on an assembly line. He just enjoys the shop craft, and which is a soul craft for him. So I guess to answer your question, that really is what gets me out of bed. It's the it's not returning emails. It's not any of the mundane stuff. It's about being creative and sort of, I guess, living the truest expression of yourself. That's beautiful. And I mean, probably that has transitioned a little bit into your podcast as well, investing into real estate. Tell me what that's like to be on the other side now. Are you, is it video based or is it audio only? Well, I started the podcast. Yeah. The investing in real estate podcast, such a generic, boring name, <laughs> but you won't forget it. You know, so like, oh, what's that Clayton pot? Oh, it's investing in real estate. How boring. But, um, you know, when I left Fox, when I left the network after 10 years, you know, I love broadcasting like you do. And, but I wanted to do my, I don't need a network, a paycheck a job, Rupert Murdoch, you know, to give me my creative expression. So now I had a podcast called the empower podcast where I'd interview folks like Byron Katie and great, you know, thought leaders, spiritual thought leaders. And I'm looking actually, I might bring that back because I've been, it's been calling to me again sure. and I can do that. You know, it's like, I can do whatever I want. And then I've got the investing podcast and I can dive deep into what holds people back around finances and wealth building. And then I launched the YouTube channel about a year and a half ago. So the video piece of that, Morris Invest, so the YouTube video channel. I built a home TV studio, the 4K camera and proper studio lights and all of that. I'm, now you can be the guy again where you can set the camera and come here, zoom in and you can fit right. it to you. I like it. Right. But now it's just myself down there. So unless <laughs> I have my son who's eight years old, I'll have him off camera and I can make jokes to like, you know, like a band leader or something. So yeah, it's been fun to be able to have that sort of creative outlet on my own terms without having to worry about it being as part of a paycheck. You said the magic. Anybody listening today, I want you to hear what Clayton said. He got to a certain point where he can do whatever he wants. And he used the gentleman in the barn pounding on metal, right? Or steel and, you know, doing kind of what he wants. I think that's the essence of what so many of us are after, but kind of get lost. You get lost in that whole dream of, I got to go get a job, earn enough money. Where did the investment mindset come into play from leaving Fox after 10 years, kind of the world of broadcasting, leaving, going and doing your own thing, starting an investment business? Where did that come from? Where was that need? Like, okay, cool. I've got money now. I need to go put my money somewhere. I'm going to make some money. Because along the way, you also had some debt that you kind of acquired through life. And then you figured out how to get out of debt. And then did that parlay really into the real estate business for you? Yeah. I mean, I've always, so I was living across, you know, around the country in different television markets, but I was always renting from people. So I was mm-hmm. mailing checks off to people that I never saw, you know, and after having read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, something, you know, this light went off, like, wait a second, this person's making, you know, $500 a month off of me. They, they, they're never here at this house. They're just, I'm mailing a check off and they're getting monthly passive income. So they owned a performing asset. And I, you know, I had lots of credit card debt from living around the country and 
you know, making no money in the TV business. I mean, I was making $23,000 a year as a reporter for CBS News in Montana. So people think it's glamorous. It's, you know, it's not. But it wasn't until, and I knew and really sort of after the crash that the stock market wasn't going to be the place where I was going to put my money. And I understood the power of real estate investing as a way of building wealth, that the tax code I started to become aware that the tax code is written for real estate investors and not people that buy properties in their own name, like Clayton Morris, but buy it in an LLC as a business. And then you really, when you start cracking that code and you realize, wait a second, every member of Congress owns real estate. The tax code is basically written for real estate investors, passive loss. And you start really cracking it. You realize, wait a second, this is the real way to build wealth in this country. And so, yeah, I bought my first two properties while I was at Fox. I was kind of, I had, you know, money in my 401k. I borrowed from my 401k to do it, not took it out, but borrowed from it as a loan to myself, which is a double whammy of goodness, which most people don't, you know, everyone's like, don't touch your 401k, you cut off a hand. And that's not true at all. And anyone who tells you that is dead wrong. And so then I bought one property using that, one property with savings. And before I knew it, I had like $1,600, $1,700 a month in passive income from two properties that I bought in like the $50,000 range, three bedroom, one bath in the Midwest. And you know, I didn't fully realize that this was going to be the way forward for us. And I'm at the network making a great salary at Fox, have two properties that are cash flowing. My wife comes downstairs to my office and she says, we can't pay our mortgage this month. Hmm. And I was like, what? What are we doing wrong? We got two kids. I'm a network news anchor. What? What? Huh? And I was terrified. And it kind of flashed back again to my dad, you know, like losing his job and I can't provide for my family and all this fear-based money stuff again. And I said, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. Well, first of all, I had to sell some stuff on Craigslist just to cover it that month. (laughs) But like over the next few days, I said, what are we doing wrong? And we realized that we were talking different languages, my wife and I that she was more concerned about making sure the money was in, you know, in the stock market and in proper ETF funds and that sort of stuff. And I was more interested in like, how can we cover our family expenses so we never have to work again? We started getting on the same page and that's when the freedom number was born. We opened a bottle of wine, went through our expenses, but I said, wait a second, we've got these two properties that are producing 800, 900 a month in cash flow per property. What if we could figure out what our monthly expenses are, and then how many of these houses would it take for us to never have to worry about this moment again where I have to sell stuff on Craigslist? That every month we have seven rental properties that produce $4,200 a month in cash flow, which covers our $3,800 a month in expenses. That's financial freedom. And so that was that, that moment changed my life. I mean, I hopped up with a dry erase marker, ran over to my whiteboard. My wife's like, oh, I'm going to go back and do some laundry. I'm like, no, you're not. You're standing right here. (laughs) We're going to get to the bottom of this and we're going to figure this out tonight. And everything changed. That night, everything changed for me. Yeah, that right there is, I I think, the freedom, right? And so I want to talk about it. So you can go to ClaytonMorris.com, your list. We're going to put everything in the actual show notes, but you can go there and you can find your freedom number. And you've got a beautifully illustrated sheet that's downloadable that everybody can just grab and kind of work the numbers and figure out how to add a little buffer so you can actually find the real number and not feel like you got to put everything into your debt, but you can pay off your house reading through it, you know, how to get out of debt, get rid of credit cards, move on really fast, but also find freedom. And when you say you can do whatever you want, I kind of believe that's the definition of freedom, right? It is. That's, that's the definition for me of freedom. When you can do what you want, when you want, with who you want, not have to feel like you can't. And that's another reason why I love the fact that you're podcasting and you're doing YouTube 
you got to kind of invite the guests you want to have. You can have the conversations you want to have and not feel like if people don't like what you're doing, they just don't listen anymore. And you became your own broadcast network. So I just, I want to tell you the little simple things today, you're teachable. You've created freedom for yourself. You're helping others to create the freedom too. So now you have the investing platform. You have the ability with your wife and clarity and communication. Because we can have two people, we can be married for a long period of time and we don't see eye to eye because we don't have the heart to heart. So you, you have the little celebratory drink and tell me what your life is like since that moment. Tell me, just give me a little bit of the highlight reel since that moment. Well, you know, I put that number up on our board. Once we got real with our number and we were on the same page and we knew that we needed to hit 12 rental properties, whatever the number was, our freedom number. Then we were got our third child. So that number moved a little bit. But once we got serious about our expenses, we knew exactly how much every month we had. And then what would that buffer look like every month to be able to have that covered? We put that number on our refrigerator, on our whiteboard, on our vision board. And we knew we were going after, I think it was like 12 rental properties. We lived in New Jersey. We still do. So super expensive. You know, Taxes are high. Kids schooling is expensive. I mean, all of those things. So ours is probably higher than a lot of people. For some people, we talk to investors on the phone. It's amazing. We'll ask what their freedom number is and they'll say four. Four houses, you know, four rental properties. We only have only twenty three hundred dollars in expenses to cover. Like twenty, that's amazing, you know. Like, yeah, my kids are off at college, and this is all the expenses we have right now. And I'm like, whew, that'd be nice. So once we set that goal and we started moving towards it, and I became like a dog, like with a bone, because then I started figuring out. You start to all the universe opens up. Starts people start to come into your life to help you reach that goal, and it's in alignment with creating financial freedom in the way that you want. I learned about other, all sorts of creative ways with financing, how to do this, how to use my self-directed IRA, how to start, you start to get so creative and pull everything together. So we started buying properties like crazy, renovating them, placing tenants. And then a funny thing started happening, which was that Morris Invest, our company was born because friends and neighbors started coming to us just saying, Hey, I see that like you don't have stress about money and you're not worried about it. And you have these renters. Can you help me get a property? And then it was like, yeah, I can do that. My mom was one of our first clients and she said, I've got 50,000 in my 401k. Can you help me get one? And by, oh, and by the way, you're going to have to do everything for me, renovate the house and find a property management team. I said, no, no, that's fine. That's what we do. That's what Natalie and I do. We'll take care of it. And it just kind of grew organically from there. So that freedom though, you know, when I left Fox, I didn't have any fear. That father fear around money was just gone. That no one could tell me I couldn't, I could just walk away from this contract. You know, I had a three-year contract and I had two years left on my Fox contract. And I just said, you know, it's time for me to leave. I'm done. I want to sleep in on a Saturday morning instead of getting up at three in the morning to go to Manhattan. I never get to see my kids on the weekend. That's freedom. And the only reason I was even hanging on to that job was really because of ego. You know, and once I got real with that and realized that, okay, I don't need this to fulfill my ego anymore. Mm. I could create that freedom and spend more time with my family. Ladies and gentlemen, today we are talking to Clayton Morris. His face may look familiar. His voice may sound familiar. What's really familiar to D is just the ability for him to be himself. Right? I don't have, there's nowhere to get. He's exactly where he wants to be doing what exactly he wants to be doing. Sleeping in on Saturday mornings, hanging with his family. And you know what's crazy is he's got a formula to help you do the same. And what we're going to do is we're going to come back in just a minute on the Be Fulfilled podcast today. We're going to be talking more with Clayton. You know, life lessons from getting up early to seeing some of the biggest names on television, put him to sleep at night and having a cassette player in his room and seeing all the various, you know, comics and kind of 
being noted as one of the funniest journalists by New York. I mean, we're talking to a comedian today who's very humbled and, and grateful just to share some of his insight with us. So we're going to be right back on the Be Fulfilled Show with today's special guest, Clayton Morris. Are you suffering from marketing dysfunction? Are you not able to perform online as well as you could when you were younger? Unable to keep up with the intimate demands of buying product, running offers, and shipping items to your customers? Say hello to Ship Offers, clinically proven to enhance the growth and longevity of your business. Get some today at shipoffers.com. And we are back on the Beef of Field Show. Special guest today, Clayton Morris. Now he literally walked away from television, two years left on his contract with Fox. He said, hey, you know what? I'm ready to sleep in. I'm ready to hang with my kids. I'm ready to have some fun and had some tough conversations with his wife to kind of figure out what their magic number was to get freedom. And now he could do whatever he wants. And I think that's the gift. But I think the real gift is that Clayton's been teachable the whole time. He's been such an incredible student of life and has had some really great mentors and teachers along the way. And what I'm looking to receive, Clayton, as we kind of just get done with the show and then get into the fulfillment round, is some teachable moments that you look back on life. You know, your dad, a couple moments with Los Angeles when he, he said, go into the studio, go ahead and just you know record some content. And I love those teachable moments because those are so impactful. Do you have a couple more you could share? Well, another moment that really changed the direction of my life was figuring out that real estate and where to invest in real estate. I was on a, I was at Fox and it was, my wife had, was kind enough to say, go visit your friend in New Zealand, who's one of the great photographers in the world. He invited me there to shoot photos on the South Island of New Zealand with him for a few days and stay at his place. And so I get on this flight, 16 hour flight from San Francisco, dropped her, the family off of the grandparents. And I continued on with my camera and lenses. And after the 16 hour flight, I'm on descent. And I start finally talking to the couple next to me and they were in their fifties and they weren't retired. It looked like, and we got to talking. They said, how long are you going to be in New Zealand? I said, I'm going to be here for five days. You know, I have to get back to work. I said, what about you guys? How long are you going to be here in New Zealand? They said, two months we're going to be here. And I said, two months? I said, what do you do that you can fly to New Zealand for two months? And he looked at me and he just said, oh, I'm a real estate investor. And I said, what? Okay, this is another pointer in this universe that I need to be paying attention to. This doesn't just happen. And he started explaining that, you know, yeah, I invest in real estate. My partner and I, he said, we buy properties, you know, in the Midwest, we buy them for, you know, 20,000. We put 30,000 into them, C neighborhoods, B neighborhoods, and we stay away from A neighborhoods. They cause A headaches, you know. And he told me the neighborhoods he was investing in. I just grabbed a pen and I was like, man, why didn't I start talking to these people sooner? You know, we're all, please put up your trade tables. We're about to land. And I just took, he told me the neighborhoods he was investing in, in Michigan and Indiana and other places. And he explained to me, don't fall in love with real estate, fall in love with return on investment, that you should be able to get this amount of return, you know, eight to 12%, you know, which is what I go after in all of our properties. And I landed and my wife wanted to know how the flight went. And she called me on FaceTime audio. And I said, she's like, how was the flight? How was the flight? And I said, I don't want to talk about that. I don't care about New Zealand right now. When I get back, I'm buying real estate. Here's what we're going to do. Here's how she's like, whoa, 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 hold on there, pirate. You know, and sure enough, a week later after I got back from New Zealand, I was already planning and mapping out buying properties in Michigan. And I think I closed on our first two properties a few weeks later in the same neighborhood that this guy on this flight told me about. And his formula, by the way, is the exact same formula that we now, we still buy every property by. 
Clayton, man, full of wisdom. What I'm going to do is I'm going to drop you into the fulfillment round. This is another opportunity for the audience member, the person who maybe has heard you, never even spent a moment listening to you before. It'll give them some insight to get to know you. There's no phone a friend. There's no lifeline. There's no, I don't know. I always tell people, be funny, make it up. Just make us laugh because that's, I think, the gift that we all have to give the world is the gift of freedom and they also the gift of laughter. I think it can change so many people's days just by hearing others laugh. So if you're ready, I'd love to take you to the fulfillment round. Yeah, let's go. All right. Favorite food growing up besides a Philly cheesesteak? Favorite food growing up? Oh, I used to, the Doritos, I used to come home from school, put Doritos on a toaster oven platter, put it in my toaster oven, and then sprinkle the, I used to shred the Cracker Barrel sharp cheddar cheese over top of it and wait till it bubbled up and burned a little bit. So like the Dorito cheese would turn black. So I don't even know if it's real cheese, but then like my Cracker Barrel sharp cheddar cheese would bubble up and that would be my after school snack. That is, <laughs> I love that. Um, where did you fall in love with your wife? Uh, the moment I saw her, she walked in, she was a guest on our show on Fox and Friends and she came on in this red dress and just, I was like, what? I just couldn't, we even have the segment because I was interviewing her. We still have it saved on our desktop computer. And so sometimes like she and I'll put it on and watch it. And it's just hilarious to watch. Like it, to me, it was a whole blur because I was just more interested in her than I was the segment. <laughs> so it's like, I'm just like, it's like that police song, you know, a do, 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 a da, da, da. Like, I'm like, I don't even know what I'm saying. Like my words are, you know, meaningless. Besides going to the mountains or, you know, doing the investing, what's something that you and your wife just enjoy doing? Just something fun for you two. Getting sloshed. No, we love... Uh, we love I like that. That's a good answer, by the way. We, we love wine. I mean, there's like a winery that just opened down the street down here. And this morning, it was like 10 a.m. And we we're off and it started pouring down rain and the kids were being annoying in the backseat. We we're trying to go get them a treat at this little coffee shop. And they're like complaining and whining. And I looked at my wife. I'm like, is the winery open yet? <laughs> can we go, please? And she's like, well, it's 1030. I don't think we can go there yet. So... Ah, the good old days, you know, and what it sounds like to me with you and your wife is that every day sounds like the first day. Hmm. It sounds like you're having fun. And I think that is such a, I think so many people forget to have fun. You know, like we spend so much time courting the person that we fall in love with. And then we find ourselves in a relationship, maybe it's marriage or whatever it may be. And we forget to have fun. That's another thing. I'm just next to your name today. I've written the word fun. Like you just like to have fun. Maybe you're not a stand-up comedian, but I think you don't have to be to have fun. And I think you found the secret today. And the sauce is really straightforward. If you had to pick a particular food besides those nachos with Cracker Barrel sliced all over the top of it, where would you find yourself enjoying a, a meal at lunchtime today? Meal at lunchtime. I've, in the past few years, fallen in love with like a Vietnamese pho, like a big mm. bowl of pho. My wife even got me a t-shirt that says, what the pho? And it's yeah. a steaming bowl of noodles and chopsticks. And I could just sit over one of those. I'm like a soup junkie. So anytime I see, there's always soup on a menu. My wife can't understand how it's 95 degrees out. I'm like, I'll have a crock of the French onion soup, please. So No soup the- for you. <laughs> and when he was on, he was on our show, the Soup Knots, he came on our show. <laughs> And I came home that day. He had given me the soup Nazi. He had given me all of his soup. So I come home with like an arm full of soup Nazi soups. Do you, um, you find it really relaxing? Like your soul, you feel like more at ease and peace now when you don't have to get up and 
you know, I mean, you got up and got ready for this show, so it was no big deal. But do you just feel like a totally different way about your life now that you don't have to get up and rush into the studio? Yeah, but it was never really about the studio because I love when the, the camera would come on, that was still fun for me. It's the anxiety around having that fear of money that I've let go of. That, That's powerful. You know, like kind of circling back to what I said at the beginning about Wayne Dyer, it's really, you know, or even Eckhart Tolle was recently asked by Oprah, how do you have fun? Do you have fun? When do you have fun? He's like, I don't seek it out. It's just there. If you're in the moment and you're not anxious about something, then it is fun. There's nothing to, you know, what's the worst that can happen? What's the worst that can happen? And so I'm inspired by those people like this, you know, Stephen Hawking's of the world or the Christopher Reeves of the world who can find enormous peace in having this, you know, an incredible injury, right? And they find this contentment that they don't have to be a thrill seeker and they don't have to go to happy hours and those types of things that they can sit quietly and just look at birds and feel peaceful. You know, like today I was this little town and over the border here from Pennsylvania into New York. And I was just sitting there sort of meditating and reading a book. And I was thinking about this thing that I wanted to work on this big development project we're looking at doing. I was like, show me a sign that this is what I should be doing. You know, when the chatter's away, you can ask those questions of the universe. And I was sitting there. And as soon as I asked the question, a giant bald eagle just flew right up above me and then just hovered and flew back down over the, over the Delaware river just swooped away. And if you're, if you don't think that's a sign, then guess what? The universe isn't going to keep providing you signs. Sure. That was a massive sign of freedom and of taking on this new, you know, bold action. No, I love it. And what I just want to say to anybody listening today, go spend some more time getting to know Clayton Morris. Go download his podcast, go find him on YouTube. I mean, the guy's got a Wikipedia page, so you know, he's legit, right? <laughs> You've got all these wonderful things to say about you, Clayton. But I just want to tell you just from a simple space, like, thank you. I'm grateful that I got the opportunity to spend an hour with you, get to know you a little bit better. Hopefully I've left you feeling, hey, it was well worth your hour. There's a lot to goods, you know, talked about today. And I think the one thing that I also want to say is to your parents, what an amazing job they did raising you. But I have one last question. Are you an only child? No, I've got a, uh, I've got a sister, a younger sister also. Cool. So we want to make sure that sister gets a little high too on the show because, you know, big brother's doing some amazing things in the world. And I just want to say thanks. And, and the thing that warmed my heart the most was that your first investment buy-in was from your mom. And I think that's right. what we all admire as kids growing up that, you know, our parents are there for us, hopefully. And uh, it sounds like you had an incredible journey to this point, And I wish you just amazing years of just continued growth and more bald eagles. May they show up in your life forever. No, thank you so much. Thank you so much. And of course, my mom's the first person to call me and complain when the tax bill for the property doesn't show up too. So you kind of kick yourself when you think about that. Like, maybe I shouldn't have had mom be my first client, but you're right. No, I, I uh, just want to say thank you, ladies and gentlemen. This is Clayton Morris today. Just came, delivered the goods. I'm Tony Grebmeyer. And until next time, no matter where you go, no matter what you do, go make today the best day of your life. Thanks for listening to today's show. But before you go, let me ask you a question. How would you like to be the architect of your journey in this game we call life? Take the next step now at drainersanddrivers.com and download my free mini course designed to give you more clarity and freedom in your day. It might just change your life forever. Forever.